The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, and disclosures for all speakers, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. We know from data from endemic countries that HIV, especially people who are not antiretroviral therapy and uh, virologically suppressed, can have more severe outcomes. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call discusses a letter to the Annals in August of 2022 titled Monkeypox Virus Associated Severe Proctitis Treated with Oral Tecoviramat, a report of two cases. Joining us on the podcast are two of the authors of the paper, Dr. Jose Lucar, who is an infectious disease physician and associate professor of medicine at the GW University, and uh, Dr. Tara Palmore, who's an infectious disease expert and healthcare epidemiologist and professor of medicine at uh, GW. We think you'll be better equipped to consider treatment of monkeypox after listening to this podcast. Taryn, Jose, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. When I saw your letter about uh, monkeypox severe proctitis and possible treatment and amelioration, I was very, very interested because I think that this is a problem that we're going to be facing for quite some time. And I think it would, it would help if you briefly told the stories of these two patients that you treated, then we'll get into why you did what you did and what it probably means. Thank you very much for the invitation. And of course, we'll be very glad to tell the stories of uh, these patients. Let me briefly summarize both cases. The first patient was a 26-year-old man who presented with rectal pain, discharge, fever, and a rash. He reported condomless anal receptive intercourse uh, with other men, including a recent encounter with a person who had recently traveled, traveled from Europe. The patient had multiple lesions scattered over his, his entire body, uh, including the face, the oral cavity, the trunk, and the perianal area. And uh, on exam, he was also noted to have about a three centimeter ring of erythema around the anal birch. He also had reported bilateral red eye, but by the time he was evaluated, uh, these had results. Three different lesions were swapped and sent to the public health lab for uh, orthopulsivirus testing, which came back positive for about 24 hours. The second patient was a 37-year-old man who presented with rectal bleeding and pain, fever, uh, fatigue, and a rash. He reported also condomless anal receptive intercourse with other men, including a recent encounter with a person who was later diagnosed with monkeypox. The patient had atypical and pruritic skin lesions in the perianal area and scattered throughout extremities and trunk. An interesting finding on this patient is that he developed what we now see as typical delicate posterior lesions at size of recent trauma, such as a, a bug bite and 
spread. Three different lesions were swapped and sent also to the public health lab for orthopulsivirus testing, all of which came back positive uh, about between two or three days later. Both of these patients reported progressive, severe, and at times cruciating rectal pain that really only partially responded to prescription opioid medication, which was started given lack of response to other sort of conventional therapies, such as over-the-counter pain relievers, sits baths, and stool softener. On the second week of symptoms, both of these patients were offered the possibility of starting ticoviramab, uh, also known as CPOX or ST246, through the CDC's expanded access investigational new drug protocol that allows the use of ticoviramab for orthofoxvirus infections, including monkeypox. Both patients provided informed consent and began treatment with oral ticoviramab, 600 milligrams twice daily. Within 36 and 48 hours, respectively, both patients reported significant relief in the rectal pain with almost complete resolution of the rectal symptoms within just a few days of therapy. Ticoviramab was well tolerated uh, and both patients uh, you know, completed the treatment as, as recommended. So I, I love the story and we'll, we'll get into what has happened since then, but let's let our audience understand the rationale for trying this as I read your letter, there are several antivirals that could be used for this family. And could you tell, tell us a little bit about how similar this is to smallpox and what's the story behind these potential treatments? Monkeypox, along with vaccinia and smallpox, is a, a member of the orthopox virus family. And all three are treatable by the same set of antivirals in in vitro. Ticoviramat, as Dr. Lukar mentioned, is available through an expanded access IND protocol or expanded access investigational new drug protocol, otherwise known as compassionate use through the CDC for this viral infection. The other antivirals that have in vitro efficacy are cidofovir, which is uh, FDA approved to treat CMV retinitis and brincidofovir, which is FDA approved to treat smallpox. Both ticoviramat and brincidofovir are FDA approved to treat smallpox on the basis of animal studies and safety profile in humans. Of course, um, there are no, no challenge studies of humans with smallpox. This is all animal efficacy data. So Ticoviramat's safety profile in um, human early phase studies showed really very mild side effects, um, very mild adverse effects, such as headaches and uh, in a small proportion of, of humans and GI, some mild um, GI side effects. Brincidofovir, which is no, not on the market, um, it's not commercially available, has GI toxicity and liver enzyme elevations as its adverse effects. It's an oral prodrug of cidofovir and actually was studied a few years back when we hoped it would be really an effective antiviral to prevent or treat reactivation of CMV and adenovirus in stem cell transplant recipients. But its adverse effects and, and I think relative lack of efficacy resulted in being taken off the market. And then cidofovir is intravenous and has substantial nephrotoxicity, and it is not FDA approved for uh, any pox virus. The other 
agent is actually vaccinia immune globulin, which is um, available under expanded access IND for monkeypox. Um, its role in this epidemic is not entirely defined, but it could possibly be used for treatment of a highly immunosuppressed patient in concert with ticoviramab. I love the fact that we at least have really good anecdotal evidence that this works. Since you wrote these letters, have you, uh, uh, unfortunately, y'all are in one of the epicenters of uh, this infection in the U.S. Have you had occasion to treat other patients that have not that you've not yet reported, either with this or with some other complication? So, as of last week, the D.C. Department of Health, as you mentioned, have reported about 350 cases of monkeypox confirmed by PCR, which accounts for the highest rate of cases per capita in the United States. As such, in our institution, since uh, you know the first case, we first patient with monkeypox crystal in, in the middle of June, uh, we have seen over 50 PCR confirmed cases that have treated over 20 patients with ticoviramab, most of which started the treatment as patients, but uh, a few started uh, as inpatients that they were hospitalized for different reasons. And we also uh, treated two patients initially with intravenous ticoviramab, primarily due to uh, quite severe disease and inability to take the drugs orally. I must give the caveat that as clinicians in a tertiary level academic medical center, we are likely seeing a subset of patients, uh, probably with more severe manifestations that are referred to us for consideration of antiviral treatment. We certainly salute the efforts by uh, CDC and FDA to streamline the process, which we've experienced throughout the last several weeks, and reduce the number of required forms. Most patients have tolerated ticoviramab well with no significant adverse effects. Although we've had, however, a small minority of patients who had to stop treatment prior to completion due to headaches, sleep disturbances, and one patient developing what appeared to be an allergic or hypersensitivity reaction on the second day of treatment. You have probably as much experience as, uh, as any institution with uh, using this uh, medication. Do we need an RCT or do you think this is good enough? I'm sure that many infectious disease colleagues around the country are gonna listen to this and are gonna try to follow what you've done. There's always people who insist until we have an RCT, we don't know. What do y'all feel about that? We do need an RCT because anecdotal experience, while valuable, leaves many questions unanswered. For example, how much faster do our ticoviramate-treated patients recover from proctitis, or for that matter, pharyngitis or eye complications of monkeypox than they would have otherwise? We think they recover faster, but you know we are heavily biased by um, by our own anecdotes and and our own perspectives. How much faster do their skin lesions resolve, and can they leave isolation? The economic toll. But for some patients is devastating, being in isolation for weeks, those who make hourly wages and have no sick leave benefits. How early in the course is the treatment of benefit to people? Um, so if you treat them, you know, two and a half weeks into their course of illness, is it as effective as treating them five days in? Those and other questions are really better answered by a clinical trial, I'm sure most would agree, than 
only by aggregated cohort data. And in fact, there will be a ton of um, aggregated cohort data because of the vast number of people being treated with ticoviramat on this expanded access IND. So that said, it will be challenging. It may be challenging to recruit patients for an RCT when they already perceive the drug to be highly efficacious. You said the magic word pharyngitis. And so everybody knows that I have to ask about the pharyngitis. How much have you seen that? And I read a recent article that it really depends upon uh, the type of uh, sexual activity you have. That So the first thing that we probably should do when we see a patient like this is get a good sexual history. Yes, absolutely. We, we have seen uh, a number of patients. I can say a specific number right now, but we've seen a number of patients presented with quite significant throat pain and difficulty swallowing, in addition to quite painful cervical lymphadenopathy. Certainly, it is our experience and our practice to have an open discussion with our patients about their sexual history. And, and certainly, we have, we have treated a number of, of those patients with ticoverimab going with the process I mentioned earlier. But yes, we've seen quite, quite severe uh, manifestations of pharyngitis, as, as you described. So let's let's see. Um, g- given the lack of randomized controlled trial data now, let's say a patient comes on to my, to my service who we suspect um, might have this either proctitis or pharyngitis or what other complications should trigger us considering using this antiviral, and then do we just call the CDC. I assume our infectious disease colleagues know exactly how to get in touch with them and get the drug. Just what should a physician do if they're not an expert uh, in this situation? In a, a facility where there are infectious disease specialists, I think, you know, engaging the infectious disease specialists, I think would be the right course of action. In, in a primary care office, the CDC has made the process of obtaining ticoviramat really much, much more straightforward. So I guess there are two parts. One is is actually completing the IND process and and getting the patient's informed consent. Um, And those forms are all online and any physician can do that. The second is actually getting a course of the drug for the patient. The drug is available through public health departments. So any physician can complete the IND paperwork for their patient and get the patient's informed consent and then work with a local health department to get the drug. So I I would say that um, it doesn't have to be done by an infectious disease physician. Um, And in some areas where there are no infectious disease specialists, primary care physicians and physicians from other specialties um, can do this. And the information is readily available on the CDC website. And I guess the the other part of the question that I'd like to finish with is what criteria are you you using now at your institution to decide that this is an option, that we should should try, see if I can get it right, Tecoviramat? I think we we have to be transparent in that severe disease is often guided by clinical judgment. I would say that in our experience, uh, we've treated mostly people who presented with severe proctitis, which on itself is also based on some degree of clinical judgment, whether they have sort of severe rectal pain, bleeding, tenesmus. We've treated patients with 
what, like I mentioned earlier, people with an ability to swallow Bluetooth, severe pharyngitis. We've treated uh, at least one patient with eye involvement as well. So essentially manifestations that are considered to be sort of what CDC mentions as anatomical sensitive areas. And also we've treated patients who have compromised immune systems, um, which is known to be a risk factor for progression to severe disease. You made me remember one other question that I wanted to ask. I thought it was interesting that both of uh, the patients you had written about and a patient that I'd heard about recently were taking PrEP already. Is it, if they're not taking it or if they actually have HIV, does that make it a more complicated disease? Certainly, we, we know from data from endemic countries that uh, HIV, especially uh, people who are not on antiretroviral therapy and uh, virologically suppressed can have more severe outcomes. And that's been reported by colleagues in Nigeria, for example. Here, we have seen certainly people with HIV infection on antiretroviral treatment, mostly virologically suppressed. And that uh, has not seemed to have made any clear difference. But again, as Dr. Palmer was saying, this is currently anecdotal experience. We have not had issues in terms of drug, drug interactions with ciclovirumab in those who have received treatment, but certainly is an area that we have to keep an eye on for sure. Thank you so much for having this discussion, which I think will be very valuable to those of us who are not experts at infectious disease uh, and especially in viral treatment, but are really interested to make sure that we can take care of these patients in the, in the most humane way. So thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. First, let's revisit the orthopox virus family, which is a large family. The three most important infections for us to remember are smallpox, monkeypox, and vaccinia. The basis of treatment for monkeypox was research done on treatments for smallpox. And the drug ticaviramat, which is an oral drug, seems anecdotally to have good response. This report discussed severe rectal pain from proctitis, but they've also now tried it in pharyngitis and other infections, especially in immunocompromised patients who also have uh, this virus infection. It would be very nice if we have randomized controlled trials to better understand the timing of when we might give this antiviral, the actual impact of the antiviral. But as the guests mentioned, it's going to be difficult to recruit people to a randomized controlled trial because the anecdotal response seems to be quite good. We hope that you learned quite a bit about uh, this emerging and somewhat dangerous uh, infection and how one might treat it. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, and disclosures for all speakers, visit go.annals.org slash on-call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated.